Um, I'm going to bring the IQ down a little bit tonight, uh, but I have a confession to make, and uh, it's, like I said, I'm going to bring the IQ down a little bit to start, <laughs> but my confession is uh, I love chocolate. Like, I really love chocolate. Like, a lot, a lot. Like, it's delicious. I love the taste of it. I love the smell of it. The way, it, the texture of it is so good. It's like what I imagine heaven is like, but in my mouth. It's amazing. I don't know how you feel about it, but I really love chocolate. If you give me some chocolate, you're going to make my day because it's one of my favorite things to eat. Um, and I don't really know when my love for chocolate really began. Uh, it just kind of was a thing that kind of materialized at some point. It's just always been a thing in my life. I don't even really like sweets that much, but chocolate, that is, that is amazing. I love chocolate. Um, and obviously, that's not a bad thing to confess to. Like, eating chocolate is not a sin, although it can taste sinful because it's so, oh, it's so fun. It's so delicious. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but who else enjoys chocolate in here? Do we have anyone? Yeah, like a lot of people do. A lot of people love chocolate. But there's a problem with chocolate. Maybe not for you, but for me there is. And that problem is I'm allergic to chocolate. Chocolate is really, really terrible for me. I won't go into detail, but it does terrible things to me. It's not a good time. I eat a piece, and I go through some terrible pains, and uh, once it's over, once those pains have passed, you know what I do? I start craving another piece, and then the whole cycle repeats, and it's just this vicious cycle that goes on and on and on and on, and it's a whole thing for me. I'm a chocolate addict. I struggle with it. I'm always wondering when I can get my next fix. And, I, and you have no idea how hard it is being a kid's pastor when it comes to that. Because we literally have a whole closet in the kid's room just full of chocolate. You don't know how hard that is. The other day I was preparing a message for the kids. And I just went into that closet. I grabbed a handful of uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and I took it back to my office and I sat there and I was kind of embarrassed about it so I kept peeking outside my office looking around making sure no one was going to notice if I needed to quickly knock it off the desk so no one would see and I ate all of those it was like five or six of them and then I finished eating them and you know what I thought oh I should get back to work no that's not what I thought I thought should I have another piece and I won't tell you whether I did or not, but it's a whole thing for me. I've tried kicking the habit, but I just can't. Uh, during a, as a church, uh, sort of at the beginning of the year, we often do a 21 days of fasting. And the purpose of that is not for you to start a new diet. It's supposed to be a spiritual discipline. But I'm a little bit guilty of trying that because I will often fast chocolate as one of the things. And my hope is that after those 21 days are over, it'll help kind of regulate my chocolate eating. Nope, it doesn't work at all whatsoever. I lose weight, my stomach feels better, but I always backslide at the end of it, and I fall right back into it. So you're probably wondering, what's wrong with me? What is Matt's problem? Like, this guy is insane. If it hurts him so bad, why does he keep eating it? Surely he'd learn by now. One word, temptation. Chocolate is incredibly tempting to me. I have a chocolate struggle. It tempts me like you would not believe. I know it's bad for me. I always suffer the consequences. But whenever there's chocolate, I can't seem to help it. Now, that's a silly example, obviously. If only chocolate were the worst temptation that we dealt with in life. But 
sadly, it's not. We all struggle with some sort of temptation in our life. We feel drawn to sin. It's so much fun for a little while, at least. And if you don't think sin is fun in the moment, then you're either lying or you're not doing it right. Because if you're doing it right, it's a whole lot of fun for a little bit. But whether it be the temptation to lie, to steal, to cuss someone out, to sleep with someone we shouldn't, to get to the bottom of a bottle, or whatever, we feel a pull to it. We feel a temptation to it. And eventually, if we're not careful, we'll give in to it and we'll even find a way to justify it in our lives. It's not right, and there will be consequences, but we do it anyways. There's an immediate satisfaction that comes when we give in to temptation. Our dopamine receptors in our brains, they fire off and they go, whoa, that feels good when we give in to our temptations. This chocolate bar tastes so good. Our dopamine and our happy chemicals are going crazy in our brains. Uh, their skin feels so good against mine. Oh, I'm happy, happy, happy. It feels so good. If I check this box off or if I don't check this box off, then I can get a little extra on my tax return. Cha-ching, like that's awesome awesome and our dopamine goes crazy and we feel the satisfaction whenever we give into our temptation it's not right but it feels good where does it all start with temptation sometimes it's a look sometimes it's a second look sometimes it's a feeling a curiosity a thought an action but we struggle with temptation. It's not an innocent little thing. The stakes are incredibly high. And no one, no one sets out to go get divorced. No one sets out to become an alcoholic. No one sets out to ruin a friendship or to wreck their finances or to have a pile of speeding tickets. No one sets out to do those things with their life. But it still happens despite the consequences. People give into temptation every single day day. We see it again and again in the news nowadays uh, where five minutes of sin or a hidden sin becomes public and it ruins a lifetime of successful business. It ruins a lifetime of building a reputation, a lifetime of ministry. We don't want that to happen to us. We don't want to end up like that. So what are we supposed to do? Are we just doomed to be stuck in sin because we can't handle our temptations? Is there a way to resist temptation or better yet, to avoid being tempted in the first place? Well, tonight, if you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, uh, and we're going to start in verse 12, and Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth, and uh, we're going to take a few pauses as I read the next couple verses, but he starts with, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Many have, and we're going to pause right there, many have this pride that they're all good. It's all good. Like, I don't have any struggle. Like, my temptation is not a big deal. Like, I've got it under control. But temptation strikes us all. There is no one that's above it. There is not a single person. And as we continue throughout the night, I want you guys to listen to this message through the lens of a temptation or a struggle that you may have so that you can kind of get the most out of this. But even minor as your temptation may seem, if it leads you to sin, you got to take care of it. You got to do something about it. All right, unpause. We're going to go to the next verse. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Time out. We're going to stop right there again. Good news. 
Your temptation, it's common. There's nothing special about your temptation. Other people have faced it. In fact, there are probably people in this same room that have struggled with the same temptation you have, that have thought the same thoughts that you have thought. And there may even be some people in this room that have overcome it. All that to say, you're not alone. That there are other people who go through the same thing that you go through. Your temptation is common to mankind. Unpause. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This part is the best news of all. You have a good and faithful God that wants to help you with your temptations. You're not going at it alone. God wants to help you with it. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And that's pretty awesome. You'll never be forced into sin. You'll never by your own free will be made to sin because God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. There's a way out. There's always an escape hatch on this thing. You should all be cheering and eating cake and throwing a party at that. Like, I don't know if you realize how exciting that is, that there's a way out for us. We should be going crazy in this room right now, having read that. Now, I realize the reason we're probably not. Because I live in the real world, just like you. And it's because oftentimes, it feels impossible to not give in to temptation. It really feels that way. You struggle, you struggle, you struggle not to give into this thing, but then you seemingly always end up somehow giving into it. And that's frustrating. It feels impossible to overcome it. Our temptations seem to have us in a chokehold. Why is that? If God really is faithful to not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear and gives us a way out when we're tempted, then why do we still give in? In James 1... Uh, James, brother of Jesus, writes this. He says that, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. And I want you guys to notice that. It's your own desire. And enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives forth death. When you're tempted, those desires are your own. They are things that you desire. That's why you feel tempted to them. You're not going to be tempted to do things that you wouldn't want to do. You're going to be tempted to do things that you would want to do. I hate meatloaf. Meatloaf is nasty. If you locked me in a room with meatloaf made by Gordon Ramsay, I don't know, some famous chef that's delicious or whatever, I wouldn't eat it because I don't like meatloaf. Meatloaf is gross. Does anyone actually like meatloaf in here? Like, there are people who like it. it. You know it's a sin to lie in church, right? Right? Okay, never mind. All right. But, <laughs> but if you put me in a room with a chocolate bar, you know what I'm going to be thinking the whole time? When can I eat that chocolate bar? That's all I'm going to think about. That is going to be the entire thing that is on uh, the front of my mind. Like, that's all that's going to be on my mind. Because... Meatloaf doesn't tempt me. It's not a desire of mine. I don't desire meatloaf. But 
I do desire a delicious, uh, supersized crunch bar, which, by the way, I can eat two of these, and that's not even a lie. <laughs> I've done it. It's disgusting. But <laughs> I desire chocolate, so I feel a temptation to it, and it's a struggle for me. If you lock me in a room with a knife and another person, and you tell me there's no repercussions, that do whatever you want, I'm not going to kill them. Because murder is not a desire of mine. That's not something I'm tempted by. I know that's ridiculous. That's extremist. But you can send me to a casino. I'm such a cheapskate. I won't spend a single dollar at all. Because, again, gambling for me is not a desire. That is not something I struggle with. It's not something that tempts me. But lying to boost my reputation, gossip, looking lustfully, those are all desires that are my own. For some, it may be drinking. It may be stealing, eating, laziness, anger. Pride that keeps you from admit admitting that you are wrong. I don't know what it is for you, but everyone's got something that they desire and they feel tempted by. And that's why you can't trust yourself because your own desires will get the best of you. It's why we need to be proactive in dealing with temptation and take advantage of the way out that the Lord has given us. So, what can we do to keep our temptations from overcoming us? Uh, James, again, brother of Jesus, he wrote in James 4, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In our temptation... We need to submit to God and we need to resist the devil. And I'm going to give you two ways that we can do that, those things tonight. And I'm trying to make it real easy for you guys to remember it. And uh, all you need to remember tonight is flee and feed. Flee and feed. And I'm going to explain what those two things mean to you guys in a moment. But first we're going to take a look at flee. We need to flee. And, we're gonna, and I'm going to start by explaining this because we need to kind of understand this before we go on. And it's that there is no halfway sin. You can't sort of maybe not really sin. That's not how it works. In fact, I kind of like to think of it this way. And um, I'm going to, so everyone can see because it's a big room, I'm going to step up here for a moment. And I like to think of it like a line. Sin is kind of like a line. And I'm going to try not to get all up in the carpet because we got nice carpet and I don't want to pull anything up. All right. So there we go. So I like to think of it like this, like it's a line, that it's just a straight line. A lot of people like to live as if they can kind of get in between it. They can kind of live a little in, a little out. But that's not how it works. It's not a halfway thing. Sin is not on a spectrum where you can be kind of sinning, but not really. If you are in it at all, it's sin, and it's wrong. It's not right. It's not what we should be doing. And what a lot of people like to do is they don't even like to do that. They don't even like to get to the halfway mark. They like to kind of come up to it. They kind of like to tow it a little, maybe dip a pinky in there, see how the water's feeling. They like to kind of flirt with the line. They like to flirt with it and see what happens. And that's how a lot of people treat it. If you live that way, I've got bad news for you. The attitude of your heart is already in disobedience to the Lord. Because that's not how that works 
at all. Some almost see it like a risk-reward type of thing. Uh, they kind of, they'll say things like, oh, I can watch porn. What's the likelihood my spouse is going to find out? Like, no one's going to know. Like, it's a hidden thing. Like, that's just between me, me and my phone screen. Uh, or they cut me off in traffic. It's not like I'll ever see them again. They deserve the finger, and they deserve to get cussed out. That's kind of how they see this whole deal here. They tend to forget or ignore in the moment that there is so much more at stake than just whether someone supposedly is going to find out or not or whether you're going to see that person again. When it comes to sin, there is always so much more at stake. Your future is at stake. Your reputation is at stake. Your relationships are at stake. Your relationship with God is at stake. If you're a parent, a spouse, or some sort of a provider, someone else's future is at stake even. There is so much at stake when it comes to sin. Now, I will acknowledge, not everyone comes in with the attitude of, I'm just going to try, I'm going to see what I can get away with. Not everyone does it. That's not how everyone, there are many of us who are genuinely, who genuinely struggle to not cross that line. Every time you try to, every time you try to resist it, you always end up crossing it. And you're really, really trying not to do that. And when you do cross that line, it's because in the moment you believe that the reward is greater than the risk. And you'll be more satisfied by your desires than by what God desires for you. Mexican food sounds great in the moment, but wait an hour. And Mexican food isn't a sin. In fact, I would be chief of sinners if it were. I love Mexican food. Uh, Telling it like it is feels awesome in the moment like they deserve it they should know what I'm that they bother me and they hurt me whatever Uh, but you damage your relationship and now you got all this yuck that you got to deal with that person now sleeping in sounds like the way to go after a late night but then you show up late to work next morning and your boss doesn't trust you that's the problem with this whole thing with this whole dilemma If your fear of consequences would overrule your temptation, then you wouldn't be tempted in the first place. But it's difficult to see past the satisfaction of sin. When approaching the line over here, you need to ask yourself, what could go wrong? And I don't mean that facetiously. I mean literally, what could go wrong? If the worst case scenario were to happen, is this still worth it? So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the best way to deal with temptation. And it's super easy. It's one word. Flee. You flee from it. When it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to crossing that line, even approaching that line, you need to decide that you're going to flee from it instead of flirting with it. You need to make what I like to call a pre-decision decision. decision. You need to, ahead of time, decide how you're going to deal with this thing right here. You need to make a pre-decision decision decision on how to handle temptation. I love the story of Joseph in the Bible. Uh, Joseph is an awesome guy. He's the guy with the coat of many colors and the whole thing. And I'm going to skip a little bit into his story. Um, But Joseph, at some point in his life, he decided he would honor the Lord. And he would not give in to sexual desire. And the Bible says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. 
Like, for the Bible to make a note of that, it's because you're a good-looking guy. Like, Joseph could have any woman he would want, given that description. Joseph was a good-looking guy. Now, at some point in Joseph's life, he ends up working for the captain of the guard. And he ends up being over the captain of the guard's household. Uh, his name, the captain of the guard's name is Potiphar. Now, Potiphar has a wife. And his wife notices that Joseph is, well, well-built and handsome. She takes note of it. And she wants to take Joseph to the bedroom. So, Joseph, of course, he's made this pre-decision decision that he is going to honor the Lord and not give in to stuff like that. And when the boss man's wife come, comes and she's grabbing at his coat, trying to get him to uh, go into the bedroom with him, you know what Joseph does? He slips out of his jacket, out of his coat, and he, he flees. He literally runs off. He just takes off. Because it's better to have good character than a good coat. He didn't play with this game, trying to see what happens. Like, he could have let her bring him into the bedroom and just been like, I'll just see what happens. No one's going to know anyways. But he didn't do that. When I'm at the gym and I'm jogging on the treadmill... You know, this is me jogging on the treadmill. I've been told I have a funny run, so don't laugh at me. Um, And I'm jogging on the treadmill, and in the treadmill in front of me, if there's a skinny, blonde, and just yoga pants, and a sports bra on the treadmill in front of me, you know what I do? I've made the pre-decision to flee. I don't mess with that. And I go as far as I can to where I can't see her, And I just don't run that day. Like, I really need much convincing not to run on the treadmill. I mean, you people who like running, like, you're crazy. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 6 says this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, which is just the verse after that passage that we opened up with, Paul tells the church in Corinth, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. They're having some issues with idol worship. And he tells them, don't deal with that. Get out of there. Flee. Don't even play with it. 1 Timothy 6, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. One more. Second Timothy. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace? Are you fighting the good fight? When temptation comes your way, is your first instinct to flee or to hang around and see what happens? It seems cowardly to run, but it takes a lot more strength to walk away from sin than it is to cross the line. And that bothers a lot of people to say that. Because a lot of people, a lot of the attitude that people have 
is that they'd rather try to tough out temptation by their own strength. And the problem with that is that you're not as strong as you think you are. Uh, one more Bible story, because uh, there's some awesome stories in the Bible. If you don't read your Bible normally, you'll be amazed at some of the stuff you'll find. Uh, but the story of Samson, one of the strongest dudes that there is. Samson, he's the guy with the, with the long hair and you can't cut it or else he loses his strength. And the, hey there, Delilah, da, 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 he's that guy. Uh, so that's Samson. Um, and Samson is one of the strongest men to exist. He killed a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone. Like, imagine that. Like, that's better than a superhero. Like, that's insane. Um, and I, this is just a side note. Like, this has nothing really to do with anything. I think it's hilarious uh, how the NIV translate what, translates what Samson said after he does that. In the NIV, it says, Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. And that means exactly what you think it means. Uh, the NKJV, I think it's heaps. He made heaps of them, which is probably better. <laughs> Samson was supposed to be a great man of God. But you know how his life ends up? He ends up broken, beaten, captured by the enemy, eyes gouged out, and put on display by the enemy state to be laughed at. How does that happen to a guy that can kill a thousand dudes on his own? Because that's insane. It's because he wouldn't flee from temptation. He had anger problems. He had alcohol problems. He had pride problems. He had gambling problems. He had women problems. Samson was an incredibly strong man with an incredibly weak will. Now, I don't want you to look down on Samson, though. Because... Those issues I just described with Samson are the same issues we've got. It's elevated by his position and the time that he lived in and the extreme circumstances that he encountered. But for a lot of us, these sound like our, our own issues. Because there's plenty of people who struggle with anger, plenty of people who struggle with alcohol, with pride, with gambling, with lust. And we don't even have the pressure of being a judge over Israel that Samson did. That's why we need to flee from sin. Because if a guy like Samson, who's supposed to be a great man of God, who had all that strength in him, can't stand up to temptation head on, neither can we. We need to learn to flee. One of the best ways to do that, to flee, is to eliminate things and situations today that are going to put you in a position to sin later. You can't control all temptation. You can't keep from being tempted all the time. But there are things that are recurring struggles that we have that we can try to control and cut out of our lives. Because why would you face temptation tomorrow when you can eliminate it today? Amen. So here's what I'm going to propose to you all. If the line to sin is right here, then what we should do is we need to move. That didn't work out. <laughs> is, there we go. Yeah. Is we need to move the line way back here. If that's the line to sin, then we got to move it all the way back there. We don't even want to come near that line. We don't want to be put in a position to cross that line. There are places that you 
go that you need to stop going to. There are people that you hang out with that you need to not hang out with anymore. Some of you, you got to downgrade to a dumb phone because every time you're on your smartphone, you get yourself into trouble. If every time you meet up with your friends, you spend the time gossiping, you need new friends. What do you think they're saying about you behind your back? If every time you go to the gas station, you walk out with a six-pack, you need to only pay at the pump. And you maybe even need to bring someone with you to the gas station. If you're tempted to have an affair at your workplace, you need to get a transfer, if not a whole new job. When temptation approaches, get out of there and eliminate putting yourself in those positions. It may create some awkward, inconvenient situations, but that's okay. In fact, I want to show you how serious Jesus is about this whole sin issue. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It's much better to flee than to have to gouge your eye out. I hope you agree with me on that. Sin is serious business, and we need to do everything we can to stay out of it. Now, I told you guys that I had two points that you guys need to remember. It's to flee and, does anyone remember? To flee and to feed. Good. So let me get into the feed part real quick. You need to feed yourself spiritually to overcome temptation. When Satan took Jesus to the wilderness to tempt him, several times Jesus responded with this. It is written. And then he quoted scripture to the devil. Being in the word helps us to know what it says. It builds our trust and our confidence in God. I love what the psalmist in Psalm 119 says. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. But we can't have that if we're not being fed the word, if we're not feeding ourselves the word of God. If you don't trust when he says, don't do this, this is bad for you, then you're always going to fall to temptation. And you need to get the word in you to know what it says and to trust him. And part of that is acknowledging that what you're doing is wrong and not trying to justify it. Because there's people who try to justify what they're doing wrong. And they'll even try to use the word to justify what they're doing wrong. Drinking is an addiction and not just a way to unwind after a long day. You have a spiritual gift of drinking Starbucks. And it's destroying your finances and stealing from God's tithe. It's not a way for you to treat yourself. Porn is killing your intimacy with your spouse or future spouse. And it's not just a harmless secret that doesn't affect anyone. The feeling that no one else is as smart, good looking, or successful as you and your family, that's pride. And that's not just how the way it is. That's not how it is. You gotta get the word in you to know what the truth is. Change and trust comes from putting his word in you. Feed yourself. When you're in the word, know the word, have the word in you, change and trust comes. Feed yourself. And one more thing, and this is a bonus. We also need to pray to not fall into temptation. Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It makes a world of difference when we pray. Because like it says, our flesh is weak. 
It's our own evil desires that entice us. We need the Lord's help to not give in to temptation. So how often should you pray about temptation? Every time you're tempted, you should pray about temptation. Pray as often as you struggle with it. When you start to feel temptation come on you, pray about it. Consider every temptation as an invitation to trust and submit to God. Don't try to stand up to it on your own because we have a God who wants to be active in helping us with our temptations. That's why he tells us to pray to him about it. Hebrews 2.18, it says, For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Our Savior himself suffered temptation, just like we do. And it really does feel like suffering sometimes, doesn't it? When you're really trying to kick it. But Jesus overcame, and he wants the same for you. I wish that I could wrap up with some awesome, great story about how I overcame some huge temptation in my life. But the truth is, it's a daily struggle. It is a daily decision that we make to flee from temptation. There are fleeting thoughts that pass through my mind that I would be so ashamed if they were vocalized. But every day I make the decision to flee from temptation and to feed my spirit. It can be annoying, awkward, and inconvenient at times. But my ultimate satisfaction is in what the Lord desires and not what I desire. God knows what it's like for you to be tempted. There may be things in your life that you can't seem to overcome. I don't know if it's financial, if it's lust, anger, gossip, I don't know what it is. It could be any number of things. But we can overcome if we flee from it and stand on God's word. What is it for you? What tempts you? Is there something that you just can't seem to overcome? How do you respond to temptation? What needs to change? Don't let another day go by without addressing it with God because we have a Savior that wants to help us in this.